0: Hosts of common sense investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better-educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whitman. Rallying stocks—the two-month rally in stocks got interrupted last week as the Dow and the S&P 500. Both suffered declines of more than 2%, and the small caps, they got taken down even harder. They were down more than 4%. We'll talk more about what to do here in just a bit. It seems like the same concerns are out there lingering. The progress of the U.S.-China trade negotiations, possible new tariffs on the EU, a slowdown in global growth, heck, even questions about the U.S. economy got a bit louder after the February jobs report, which had a big miss on the number of new jobs added last month. I I think the concerns here were a bit overblown, considering unemployment declined from 4% down to 3.8%. And wage gains, they accelerated at the fastest pace in 10 years. I may be crazy, but this doesn't seem like a terrible environment. Yes, we've slowed down. We've hit a soft patch, but I think we get through it. And the prospects for a recession? Well, they seem pretty low to me. The Fed is on the sidelines. They say that they're going to remain patient with regards to any future rate hikes, at least until they see a significant improvement in the underlying economic fundamentals. My opinion has been, and still is, that we're in a consolidation mode. We had a really nice rally off the December bottom and, well, we need to take a break. What breaks us out of this? Well, that's a great question. It could be some sort of resolution with the trade talks or a signal that we've worked our way through this economic soft patch. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. On the technical side of things, the drop in the market last week has partially helped relieve the overbought condition we had entering last week. The number of S&P issues trading above their 50-day moving average dropped to 75%, down from 92%. Typically, when you get to about 50%, that's usually when you know that the consolidation phase has run its course. So we still have a bit to go here. I think That's what we're doing. We're taking a break. I've had people ask me if this is the time to take some money off the table, and I am by no means a market timer. I don't think it can be done consistently. I do pay attention to the big picture and to the technical conditions, but 80% of what I do is focused on the fundamentals of businesses trying to buy great businesses when I think that they're undervalued. So is this the time to try and guess where the market is going to go and pair back? This past week marked the anniversary of the bull market. 10 years old, still going pretty strong. I was thinking back to those dark days, back to the great financial crisis. The market was cratering around us. Brokers were going belly up. Money markets were breaking the buck. Folks were worried that their banks were going to go belly up. All scary stuff. The question was back then, is it too late to get out? The truth is, if you need to find a strategy after the markets have started to fall, it's too late. In my opinion, The only real sensible approach is to buy only the things you're comfortable owning through any kind of downturn and then do nothing when it hits. I know, and I'm sure you probably know more than one person who sold out near the bottom and it took them years to get reinvested again. Basically, they captured almost all the downside and practically none of the upside. I know this is hard to do, doing nothing. I know. Even the most experienced money managers feel like they need to do something when the markets start acting up. And I call this action bias. People can get caught off guard, especially if all stock prices do is go up. When they go down, well, this causes psychological pain and anxiety. You know, that fight or flight reflex kicks in and encourages people to take action. It's nature simply perfect for pre-industrial times, perfectly wrong for the stock market. As I said, it's sometimes best to do nothing, as hard as it is. A study of goalkeepers, that's right, soccer goalkeepers helps explain this, specifically goalkeepers facing penalty kicks. It was a study called Action Bias Among Elite Soccer Goalkeepers, The Case of Penalty Kicks. What else would you call it? It turns out that goalkeepers jump left or right 94% of the time, and they guess correctly about 40% of the time, and out of those, they save about a quarter. It turns out that if the keeper doesn't move at all, their chances of saving the penalty increase from 13% to 33%. They have a better chance standing still. Assuming we don't start down the game theory hole, you know, I know you're not going to move, so I'm going to kick the ball over here and, you know, just, but just randomly, it's better to stay still. Goalkeepers have every reason to try and stop the ball, but basically they choose a strategy that ensures them of having a lower success rate. They feel like they have to do something. The research shows that the goalie feels worse if they just stand there and the ball gets by than they do if they jump in the wrong direction and get scored on. You know, they feel at least like they did something. That's action bias in action. When we're faced with a choice, we very rarely choose to be strategically inactive. Of course, this strategy is reliant on two things. One is you have the courage to write out any correction and even adding along the way. And two, you have to be invested in the right things. That's really my point. You need to own a portfolio full of high quality businesses that you'll be happy owning if the market's closed down for the next month. Things that you're not going to worry much about. Things like Pepsi, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Apple. These are businesses that most people aren't going to worry about if the economy slumps or if there's that once-in-a-hundred-year type of event. Sometimes, the best strategy is to do nothing. We need to step away, take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about what's in a PE after all. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing, and we are back in a moment. worked hard. You've saved and invested along the way. Now you want to make sure that all your hard work pays off so you could do what matters most to you, whether it's paying for the kids' college expenses, giving back to your community, or ensuring a safe and comfortable retirement. Now is the time to start planning. Now is the time to get the advice you deserve. We have a team of experienced professionals who can help you navigate the investment landscape. Please call us at 301-770-5234 or visit us at www.xmlfg.com. Thank you, and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. If you're looking for someone to help you plan and navigate the choppy waters, Don't be shy. Give us a call or email us at podcasts, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. Let's talk about some fundamentals and one of the ways you can value stocks. Valuation measures have been a terrible market timing tool in the short term. An expensive market can get even more expensive, and a cheaper market can get even cheaper. But valuation measures can be very good longer term. So Today, I want to talk about PEs, how to determine a PE, how to utilize the PE in investing, and the importance of the price-to-earnings ratio. That's what PE stands for. Hopefully, this will answer some of your questions regarding valuations. On a long-term basis, there are really two major ways to make money on a stock. Number one is earnings growth. The earnings growth of a company is going to play a huge role in you making money. If earnings growth is 10% a year, you're going to get a 10% type of return given certain assumptions. Number two, the other part of that assumption is what happens to the PE. So there are two ways of making money through the earnings growth and through changes in the price to earnings ratio. Let's say a company is trading at a PE of 10, and for the next seven years, it grows at 10%. That means in roughly seven years, its earnings per share will have doubled. That's the rule of 72. If during that period, people are deciding, hey, this is a pretty good company, and it's been growing at 10%, I don't think it should trade at a 10 multiple. I think it should trade at a 20 multiple. How much money have you made on that stock in seven years? 10% a year earnings growth means a double in earnings. That's the rule of 72, as I said. But you've increased the PE from 10 to 20. You've doubled the PE, so you've made four times your money with a 10% grower. And half of that return came because of the change in the PE. So it's very important. What determines the price-to-earnings ratio that's assigned to a stock? I'm glad you asked. We could do an hour discussion here, but to bring it down to its very basics, it would be two factors. One would be interest rates, and number two would be expectations, expectations for future growth. Again, PE is the price of a stock divided by earnings per share. In other words, how much are you willing to pay for a dollars worth of earnings? If interest rates on CDs go from 1% to 4%, what's going to happen to the PE of the market? In general, it's highly likely that it's going to drop. Why? Because you have this other great alternative out there, a 4% CD with no risk. And when you look at stocks, you realize that well, there's definite risk there. So, you're not going to be as likely or be as willing to pay as high of a price when you have a no-brainer, no-risk type of investment out there. So, interest rates typically mean the PE multiple of the market and stocks will come down and vice versa. Low interest rates mean there's, means there's little competitions for stocks and you tend to pay more for them. Where we are now. Interest rates are low and P.E. multiples are slightly above their long-term average. At some point, the equity markets will run into trouble again because of the rise in interest rates. Now, another determinant of P.E. or the P.E. ratio would be the expectations of the future. If we investors believe that there's a recession on the horizon and it's going to cause earnings to go down, well, we're not going to be willing to pay as much for the current earnings because it's likely that they'll be lower in the future. So the PE will drop because we're pessimistic. And this is an important part. Value investors as a group believe in mean revision, meaning that low prices will revert to normally higher prices and vice versa. Higher prices will over time revert to what they've typically been in the past it works at least the majority of the time that's why you can go out and blindly buy the lowest pe the most out of favored stocks on wall street doing no qualitative analysis at all not figuring out whether a company is going to grow or if they're generating free cash flow or if they have a strong balance sheet or paying a dividend or whatever just buying the lowest PE stocks on Wall Street has yielded remarkable results. There are probably 100 studies showing exactly this. And, well, you can probably find 100 studies that contradict my 100, but I believe mine is right. It's all about mean reversion. These out of favored stocks will, over time, revert back to being average companies or maybe even in favor type companies. Truly mean revision is a law of nature in the financial markets. It's why you should pay close attention to historic relative PEs. In other words, where the stock has traded PE wise relative to the rest of the market. And you can find that out in something like Value Line. If a stock has historically traded at a higher than average multiple, because it was thought of as a great growth company. And it's suddenly, a few years later, trading at a significant discount to the market. Well, Maybe you're onto something. Maybe that's a bargain. Maybe the PE will move back to its more normal type of trading range. But let me go back to my original reason for the discussion on PE. The formula to use in investing to determine your future returns on a stock is pretty simple. It's earnings growth plus the dividend that will give you the total return, assuming no changes in the PE. Earnings growth plus the dividend gives you the total return. So let's say you buy a stock and it's growing at 10% and it's paying you a 2% dividend. You're going to get 12% assuming no change in the PE multiple it's going to change if you're buying it at a below average multiple. That mean revision will probably give you a little extra juice, a little extra return above your 12%. But also implied in that formula is the knowledge of their future earnings growth, which is why qualitative analysis is so important. If you're looking at something like a copper miner, you really have no idea of what their earnings are going to be in say the next three to five year. None, none whatsoever. While if you're looking at a utility or a beverage company, for example, people are going to continue to drink their sodas and use electricity. You can get a pretty decent feel for what their earnings are going to look like like in the future. And normally you'll pay more for predictability, or I'll at least argue that you should you should almost always assign lower multiples for unpredictable companies like the miners and pay higher multiples for ones that are very predictable. My point of all of this discussion is that figuring out the proper PE is very important to your total returns. Determining if a stock is currently trading at a multiple that's justified, whether or not it ought to be trading at, at an above average market multiple or below market multiple. And understanding that, typically there will be a reversion to the mean. So it's very important to understand how the market comes up with the overall price to earnings multiple and how it's looked upon. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next Wednesday when we'll hopefully be able to talk about a couple of stocks that we've been researching and possibly buying. But until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay. You've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up, it's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show. Well, They're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML financial group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification,